moving on with text messages uh, in re- yeah in relationship to COVID vaccination regulations. Uh-huh. Um, Braden has texted in to say it is fastly approaching that we will be worshiping how the apostles worshipped, mm. which is in homes. Yeah, getting thrown kind of underground. Yeah. Now, the Bible says that. Now, whether that happens as a result of uh, vaccination laws or other laws, who knows? Yeah, that's right. Um, we don't. And it would, be, it would be foolish of us to try and predict whether that that's will right. be the case or not. And, and again, like, you know, I think people look to the closest threat and they're like, oh, is this, you know, what's going to make it happen? But ultimately... You know, anything can happen. You just see what happened in ah. Afghanistan. Like, yes. Just overnight. Overnight, anything can happen. A group has taken over the country that fundamentally opposes Christianity and wants to get rid of them, and the church is now in the place where no one, like, uh, we were reading quotes from the Christian leaders over there, but you don't know their names. Everyone's in hiding. Everyone's fleeing the country. Like, hey, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, forced vaccinations agenda is the operative word. We will soon find out. That's another text message coming uh, through right there. And this is the issue. It's forced vaccinations. Mm. I'm not against vaccinations. I'm pro-vaccination as a general rule. Um, I am against forced vaccinations. I'm very strongly in favour of uh, of pro-choice, being able to choose on this particular issue. And, you know, if, if well, I've said it a million times over, but if you really want lots of people vaccinated, then you're better off to give people choice than you are to try and force them to do so. Okay, the book of Acts shall be repeated. Home churches or underground churches will happen. The majority of Christians in China have underground churches, and it's growing daily. It would be interesting to see how that happened in Australia. I tend to think that it would be the same thing. Mm. Uh, whenever you've had persecution, you have an initial drop-off of membership, followed by an increase in membership. Mm. Uh, if the government forces churchgoers to be vaccinated, there's another message here. If the government forces churchgoers to be vaccinated before you can go to church, that is as close as church and state as you're going to get before the lockdowns. You could just sign in soon. It will be only be by using the app. That will be the last line for many. You know, we, have, we do have to be careful saying soon it will be this or soon it will be that. Yeah. Because we don't know. Mm. And, and 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 I will say this. Sorry for butting in. Hold fine. that thought. Hold that's that thought. Fine. Don't forget that's that thought. That's fine. It's, it's right there. All right. We need to be especially careful of saying this or this or that is what's going to happen mm. in the future. Mm. We need to be careful to qualify ourselves by saying this or this or this could happen in the future, mm. and the Bible says that this will happen. That's right. Okay, so the Bible, where the Bible says something will happen, mm. we need to be very clear about that. Uh, but when, you know, will will you need to have an app to go to church? Will you need to have a passport to go to church? We don't know. Yeah. We can't say that that will happen soon. Mm. It might happen next week or the week after, but we can't say that until it does. And, and I'll give you a really good example of this because the more often that you cry wolf, the more you lose your credibility and That's the less right. people listen. That's that. I How many dates have you, have you been given so far for the Great Reset? The Great Reset. I've been given three dates so far, and every time the date comes, they move it to another date. That's right. And what? And every time that happens, it starts to lose a level of credibility. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. Mm. I'm just saying that 
Let's not be setting dates and saying that something will happen unless the Bible says so. Now, the Great Reset would could fit in perfectly with what the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't demand that that is the process by which it happens. That's right. The Bible does demand that there will be economic meltdown. Mm. It could be the Great Reset. It could be something else. We don't know. Yeah. So let's not go out there stating definite things about things that are indefinite. And it's so interesting how this is very much a different perspective, as the text has said, like, oh, this is church and state. But isn't it interesting? We've always interpreted church and state coming together in the end times in the Bible as the church controlling the state to persecute those who won't agree with their ideologies, like Mm -hmm. a religion, whereas this is talking about secularism controlling the state to persecute churches, which is a completely different perspective on church Church and and state state. and coming together and how it's being controlled. So again, to just kind of like, because both of these perspectives could very well be the reality. Um, You know, I, I, we just have to go back to what the Bible says, particularly in revelation 13. And we see that there is heavy controlling religious aspects that are coming into the, the idea of church and state, but how they exactly play out, particularly here in Australia at the moment, you know, it's like, oh, you know, should we be pointing at that and saying, oh, this is the great control of church and state? Well, because the Bible then talks about how that control of church and state from the beast will be something that is global and a, and a global standard there. So, again, I'm, I'm kind of reinforcing your point that kind of mm. throwing the blanket on something that looks bad or that persecutes Christians and saying that, oh, this is this coming true. Well, that's a part of it, but it's not the, you know, I, I personally, I don't see vaccines being the issue that ushers in ultimate persecution for Christians. Um, I see because, because, because for many people, vaccines and vaccination isn't a moral issue and isn't an issue of worship. It's not, it's not in the Bible. That's right. That's right. But the Bible is very clear as to what the issue is at the end of time, and it's all about worship. Yes. So there has to be some religious aspect that I'm currently not seeing with vaccinations. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good point. And, um, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> all right. I did have a, a really cool thought right there, but it escaped my mind. <laughs> still, still recovering from all those drugs they gave me in the hospital. Still that's right. half out of my mind. Yep, we just read that one. Uh, not sure why Haiti has gone through such terrible tragedy mm. over and over. Glad that the church is helping. They need our prayers and their help. And another text message he loved, um, and this is John Boston's analogy of broken pieces and broken people used together for worship, mm. the healer of broken people. Yeah, wow. Very, very powerful uh, observations that John Boston made there in Haiti and how quickly that crisis in Haiti is just forgotten, mm. you know? It's a developing country. It is dirt poor, and just nobody cares. You know what's you know what's interesting? Yes, just just about this too. I think it's it's because of this. I, I read an article this morning from the BBC that talked about um, the 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 records that we have of natural disasters over the last fifty years and how they've been exponentially increasing decade on decade. Yes, um, but simultaneously, the number of reported deaths from these disasters have gone down. Yes, even though they're happening more often. We're more prepared for them. Yeah, but because it's less of a tragedy, even when it is a tragedy, I think there is definitely just a numbing that's going on, particularly, you know, to a situation like Haiti, where it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of poor people getting hit by another natural disaster and and moving on. Even still, if that 
earthquake had hit in an American city. Yeah. What was it? 7. Seven point five. Like 7. that's five. That is a rocking. The yes. Like, if that had hit an American city, you would have had a lot less deaths. Yeah. Because of building codes. Mm. Uh, but you would be hearing about it on the news for the next decade. That's right. You know, the other interesting thing uh, that, that the BBC reported is that although deaths have gone down exponentially, particularly just in the last decade alone, the reported economic losses um, of, from earthquakes and from natural disasters have increased, like, incredibly. That's- like, it's, you know, in the... we We've basically, in the last 10 years, we eclipsed... Um, one over like you know a trillion dollars worth of business lost and and money lost from um you know from economic losses from these different countries from these disasters. That is off the charts. Yeah, that is just a wild statistic right there. Yeah, we have to do a Facebook post on that one for us, Lawson, just oh. to uh, point out how the economic cost of disasters has gone up. You know, as a result of all of these signs of the times. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, so let's go to our Bible study for today. Let's go to John chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 7. Let's start in verse 7. It's going to be an amazing story we're going to look at right here. John chapter 5 and verse 7. This is a story that is paralleled in a whole bunch of different places. Mm. Uh, So let's have a look at what we have. John chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. up, Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Go back to the beginning. Okay, yeah, I was like, we're we're jumping right in in. Okay, Start in verse 1. In verse 1, the Bible says in John chapter 5, Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida, uh, Bethesda, sorry, uh, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have had no one to put me into the pool uh, when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Okay, so this was an interesting situation they had with um, this particular pool, and you know this was not this was a, a tradition that did not come from God. There is no point where God said, you know, if you jump into this pool, the angels will heal you. It was more spiritualism and idolatry that was involved here, semi paganism that was going on. Um, and 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 so as a result of that. You've you've got well. Why would Jesus go there? Mm. Why would Jesus heal people that are dabbling in paganism? You know, there's a whole bunch of issues that mm. arise at this particular point. And when he gets there, he finds this guy. How long has this guy been lame for? What is it? Thirty-eight say? years. That's a very very long time. Mm. That's an incredibly long time that he's been lame, and you know he's been beside this pool for. Who knows how many years? Mm. Why is he not able to be the first one in? Well, ultimately, like, because he's disabled. He can't make it. Yeah. He's lame. And there's always going to be somebody who wants to get in who is healthier than a lame person. Mm. So he just exists there. Mm. And he's a beggar. 
That's a terrible, terrible existence to be in. Yeah, we talked a little bit yesterday. We were talking about like slavery and the slavery that the the Israelites had come out of. Like when you're lame, uh, you don't have even the ability to go into indentured service. Like no. to to like because we they had the indentured service system, uh, you know, servanthood. It's really good. It's to help people who go terribly into debt. It was the safety net. That's right. That's right. So like he couldn't even be an indentured servant, which was like the top level of you know, well-treated slave, quote-unquote, um, but essentially, like, you just got fully looked after and cared for. But he couldn't even be a slave. Like, he couldn't be anything. Like, he had no ability to control his life. Yes. Mm. And the requirement, you know, in the in the Jewish economy was that the family was to look after people in this kind of situation. Mm. And that if the family couldn't do so, then it was the Levite's job to do so. Mm. But the reality is that in every in every circumstance where you have human beings who are running the program, there are going to be people, you know, even where you've got the most perfect human beings who are never perfect, you're going to have people who fall through the cracks and this is somebody who's obviously fallen through the cracks. We don't know the details why yeah. or how. We don't know whether he's the only member of his family. Mm. We don't know whether he's been rejected by his family. Maybe <laughs> Excuse me, maybe they thought he was a great sinner. Yeah. There's a bunch of questions here that we don't have answers to that you'd kind of love to have the answer to, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. You'd also, like, think that it would, would have reflected the, uh, the, the, the idiosyncrasies of the, the society specifically at this time, that you've got Jerusalem ruled by the nation of Rome, you know, the, yes. the empire of Rome, kind of creating, and, and because of the influence of the Greeks as well, you don't have that kind of insular, isolated um, Israel that we see in the Old Testament where they have the abilities to really be accountable for these things. You've got this Hellenized, secularized Israel that, yes, have, like, well, here, right here, as we've been kind of uh, seeing a kind of pagan worship. They've got all these different influences. They've turned much, Israel's turned much more into a business than a nation for, for the Romans. Like, yeah, this isn't even Israel functioning at its best. Well, Jerusalem, there's no Israel at this point. This isn't um, Judea functioning at its best. We're seeing a, a very globalized Judea that's just kind of acting as a, as an area that exists. It's just, it's just a nation like any other, except that they have like a temple that's worth, big bucks for for these guys so really at the end of the day like it yeah there's heaps of factors that go into it but it just makes sense that this guy is laying there and he's got he's got nothing because there was it says there were crowds of people in the same situation you know who were just outcasts in society and had no one supporting them there was no the safety net had missed them essentially they had fallen through Mm. absolutely indeed okay so where did we get up to what verse did we get up to we got up to verse seven Okay. Where essentially he says, I can't, I can't get in. I've never been able to That's get it. in the pool. That's it. All right. And then. Yeah, keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 8. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Okay, let's, let's, let's stop right there because you've got Jesus. He walks into this particular pool mm. where you've got these people who are highly superstitious. Mm. They are not people who are, you know, really good, really great followers of God. Mm. You've got to be a bit superstitious to be there. You've got to be dabbling in a little bit of pagan you know, traditions and so forth. Maybe, you know, semi-Christian, semi-Jews mm. uh, at this particular time. And uh, he singles out this one person who is ill. Now, you can imagine the whole courtyard would be full of, full of ill people that want to get, you know, jump into this magical water. Yeah. 
and he singles out just this one person. Mm. All right, out of that whole group, just one. And he says, stand up, take up your bed and walk. When Jesus says that, what do you think it is that inspires this man with faith? Mm. Well, you know, it's one of those interesting questions, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Has he heard about Jesus? Does he know who Jesus is? We don't know. Mm. We kind of suspect that at this particular point he doesn't know who Jesus is because if everybody had known who Jesus was as a healer yeah. when he walked in there, you would have expected that he would have been mobbed by people who were not mm. well. And up until this point previously he had been in different areas. In different areas, yes. Yeah. But it seems that in this particular area he's not well known, he's not mobbed. Mm. He just walks in there incognito and tells this guy to stand up and the guy just stands up. Mm. Well, they're in Jerusalem, like they're in the capital. I think, That's right. they, they, yeah, it's Jesus at this point is a pretty small fish in a in the big pond of Jerusalem. They don't really know about him yet, and um, yeah, this is possible. He's, he's just getting around. Yes, and so he goes there and he heals this one single person, which is, you know, it's 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 there's there's obviously a reason for that, and then it creates all kinds of trouble. Mm. You would wonder how a healing would create trouble. Well, it certainly does create trouble. Uh, let's keep reading. Well, it continues on in verse 9. It says, Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and begun walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know that Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Yeah, so this guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. Yeah, that's right. He's just like, you know, it's it's a pretty good excuse to be able to carry your mat on the Sabbath day when you've just been healed and the guy who healed you said to do so. Mm. Yeah, I would be pretty inclined to be like, I should probably do what this guy says. Absolutely. <laughs> and for the priests and the Pharisees at the time, you know, it's not like this guy is unknown. Mm. He's been around for a very, very long time. Mm. They see him walking around and the first thing they can think of is, why is he carrying his bed? Maybe they're like, oh, man, this guy's like a fraud or something. Maybe, maybe. No, I think he'd been around long enough so that they couldn't actually go there. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So this is interesting because what you know, and I had a question about this during the week actually, which was which was really interesting. I haven't had a chance to reply to it yet because um, I just sort of took the last couple of days to go to hospital and recover a little bit. Um, <laughs> I will get back to some of these questions sooner or later, but it was you know really asking the question about you know how to how to keep the Sabbath and the impossibility of keeping the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath is not impossible to keep. Keeping the Jewish laws in relationship to the Sabbath. Mm. That's what's impossible. Whose side of Sabbath keeping are you on right here? Are you going to keep mm. the Sabbath how Jesus kept it or are you going to keep the Sabbath how the Pharisees kept it? Let's follow the example of Jesus, not the example of the Pharisees. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, a couple of really good uh, messages coming through here from Bruce. First, he says, Force is Satan's way. God is the one that gives us choice. Mm. God is withdrawing his hand per our request, to let us see how Satan's rule really works. That's kind of, you know, 
what we are doing as human beings worldwide right now is pushing God out of our lives. Um, okay, he continues on here. He says, uh, Caiaphas said, you do not realize that it is better for you that uh, for better for you that one man die than the whole nation. But the nation ended up dying anyway. Wow. When we try to do it ourselves, we always mess it up. Mm. Very valid point right there. Yep. Uh, second message also from Bruce. Um, God didn't say, and oh, this is interesting. God didn't say the man's name by the pool. Okay, think about this. He didn't say his name. He just said, take up your bed and walk. Mm. He goes on. Everyone could have responded. Oh, that's right. Because he didn't say anyone's name. Everyone could have responded, but they were all focused on fixing themselves. Mm. He was the only one there who knew that he couldn't fix himself. Wow. That's a really good point. I love that right mm. there. That is a very powerful point, Bruce, that you have just raised. He is the one who said, I can't get into the pool. Mm. I can't do this. I can't fix myself. That's a lesson for us right there. There's a great object lesson for us right there. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Bruce, because this really illustrates how God works with us. When we come to God and it's like, yeah, we're good, we can fix ourselves. Mm. We can't accept God's grace that way. It's only when we come to God and say, we are a sinner, we are powerless to solve this problem that God is able to work through us. And you know what's so interesting as we've been talking about like using the names as well, the ultimate result of having an encounter with God where we say that, oh, no, God, like I'm good, I can fix myself, is that his response is, well, I don't know you. Because the reality is, is that we all need fixing. Like we all need help that is outside of ourselves. The only one who can provide that is God, and it's only through having that intimate you know, spiritual relationship with him that we can be fixed. And so, the yeah, the reality is it's like God puts the call out to everyone, but those he knows is those who he's responds. Obviously, you know, it, it, this is, we're talking in the sense of salvation. God obviously knows all things and he knows everyone and he calls us very specifically. And, you know, the power of people's testimonies is that they come from all different places and the different ways that God calls them. Like, praise the Lord. God knows us and he knows how to get us. But the reality is, is that we're all in the same situation. And I feel like this is what this story is really highlighting and what Bruce is saying is really highlighting is where we are all in this situation of needing help. Um, but God knows us when we respond saying, okay, God, I'm going to accept powerful stuff. So it is indeed. It is indeed. All right, so getting back to our particular story right here, we've got this example of the Pharisees who were always trying to fix things themselves, and in the result of trying to fix things themselves, they had created a million and one different rules by which they could fix Ooh. themselves. Yeah, that's right. You've got a great contrast here. Yeah. You go from people who are, who, who are confident they can fix themselves to somebody who knows he can't and is the one who is healed, who is yeah, impacted right. by the grace of God, and then back to those who are confident they can fix themselves again. Mm. Bouncing backwards and forwards between the two. And so what the Pharisees had done was, and, and this is one thing that I think a lot of people get confused over because they confuse the Pharisaical laws in relationship to the Sabbath with the law of God. Mm. And those are two very, very different things. Mm. The Bible says very few specific things in about how to keep the Sabbath. It does say a few specific things, but not that many. It largely outlines principles. Mm. 
And those are principles that are there to make it a great day, a fantastic time, a blessing for everybody. The Bible says, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man. It was made to be a blessing for every human being. And you're going to miss out on that blessing if you don't worship God on the Sabbath. Simple mm. as that. Uh, but Pharisees came along and they said, well, you can't carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath day. That is work. <laughs> and here is here's this dude walking around with a bed under his arm. Yeah. He literally sleeps on the ground and he's yep. like moving. Walked off with his walking mat. Yeah. With his sleeping mat. So he's carrying it. You know, and, and, and so if you've got a bit of a cold or flu or whatever, you had to pin it to your clothes. Mm. Had to pin your handkerchief to your clothes. Yikes. It's a bit gross, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Um, you were not allowed to spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. That's intense. Because if you spit on the ground, then you have uh, watered the grass. Oh, and that is right. agriculture. You've participated in agriculture. Uh, okay. Yep. yep. Uh, you were not allowed to tie or untie anything. You were not allowed to separate two threads. You're not allowed to extinguish a fire. Um, you're not allowed to transport an object between a private domain and a public domain. Um, and they had this rule called the Sabbath. The Sabbath. Uh, the, what was it? The Sabbath. Walk the Sabbath distance. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the oh. distance that you could travel on the Sabbath day, dude. That still exists now. Like, yes, well, it does. A bunch of these laws oh, still exist now. But the the Sabbath walking one, I remember reading an article. I think just like the the lions that because they exist in Bondi because there's like a in Bondi in Australia. There's yes, like a, a large decent, Jewish community. Yeah, and so you've got all of the uh, all of the crosswalks in Bondi. You don't have a button to push. Yeah, that's right. Just happen automatically so that. The Jewish community can use it on the Sabbath can, day. Yeah, can keep the Sabbath. This is not in the Bible. Yeah. This is making the Sabbath a burden. This is not what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath is about being a blessing, a time of rest, a time of worship, a time spent with family, a time spent with God. Mm. Actually, I remember reading that. I think it was either those ones or like one specifically on the island of Manhattan in New York that costs like $200,000 a year to service. Like all of the 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 the, the line the line that what you, hangs. What you do is what what they have in Bondi is they have a uh, a rope or a line that goes all around the city of Bondi mm. and is then dedicated as a synagogue. So that as soon as you are within that line, that's you've gone under the walls of the synagogue. That's right. And so now you can travel as far as you want. Yeah, that's right. So so even that that's like you know because travel within the synagogue is not counted. But even if you okay if you make that law, that is definitely not in the spirit of how the law was no, originally made. That's it, so it does my shifty. head in. It does my head in that you create a law on how to keep the Sabbath, and then you create loopholes so you can get around that law. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like they have a law: you can't open your fridge on the Sabbath day. Why? Not because you can't get food, but because there is a light in there and there is a switch on the light, mm. and you are switching on the light when you open the door. That's, yeah. But if you open the door accidentally, if you take the light bulb out, then you can use your fridge on Sabbath. Okay. Take it out on Friday, put it back in on Sunday. Uh, but if you open it accidentally without having taken the light bulb out, then you've got to leave it open for the rest of the day. This is not what God gave us the Sabbath for, and this is what the Pharisees were all getting bent out of shape over in this story. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, God created everything, iniquity was found in the heart of Satan... How could iniquity be there? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, the implication is there, did God create the evil that was found inside Satan if God creates everything? That's right. 
Listen to me, let me share with you what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 7, it says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. So how does God do that? Create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Okay, so this is a really challenging question right here because a lot of people read something like that and they say, okay, wait a minute, what are you saying right there? Is the Bible saying that God uh, created evil? Is God just a sadistic beast up there in heaven who's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make all of the horrible things that exist on earth? You know, this is a one-off Bible verse. It's not something that is a major theme in the Bible. And so when you have these one-off Bible verses, they need to be taken in context with the rest of the Bible. You don't bring the rest of the Bible to one verse. You bring one verse to the rest of the Bible. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, okay, how does God create evil? And there are probably a number of different ways of looking at this. Uh, However, I'm going to share with you how I look at this. Very, very simply, God creates the power of choice. Mm. It is impossible to create the power of choice without also creating the possibility of, of evil. Mm. In an infinite universe that is going to that has lasted forever and that will last forever, that's something that we can't get our minds around. When God creates the power of choice, I would argue that God has created the inevitability of evil at some particular point. Mm. And so that at one point, because the power of choice exists. At some point, evil will exist. That's right. And so by creating the power of choice, what God also must do, and of course God creates the power of choice because God is love, and without the power of choice there is no such thing as love. Eradicate the power of choice and you have eradicated love. It is really that simple. By creating the power of choice in an infinite universe, then by default Evil will at some point exist and you have to have a plan. And so the moment you create the power of choice, God also creates the plan of salvation. And so along with creating the power of choice and the possibility of evil, God has created the plan of salvation, which means that Jesus will die, that sin will exist for a period of time, and that as a part of that process, God himself will give his life. Mm to redeem the universe, so that evil only ever happens once. For one period in history, that's it, and will never, ever, ever return again. And so this is this is what God has created. God has created the power of choice. By creating the power of choice, at some point, evil will exist. If at some point evil will exist, God must have a plan in place, a plan of salvation, so that he can actually deal with that when it happens. Now, God's plan of salvation is fantastic because you know, he allows evil to exist for a period of time so that the entire universe and everybody here on earth can see the results of sin and the results of evil and so that everybody can exercise the power of choice for the rest of eternity. There will never, ever, ever be sin again. Why? Not because God takes away the power of choice. Not because evil can't exist. But because if anybody ever wants to go back there again, either they've seen it and been horrified by it and they're certainly never going to bring it back, or if they're a new creation that hasn't seen it, God can say, okay, it's a, you know, interesting thought you've raised right there. Mm. Uh, let me down, Let me sit you down and show you uh, the record of what happened on the big screen on planet Earth and just let me know when you've seen enough. Mm. This sin, evil, pain, suffering, 
it is never, ever going to return ever again. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.